Hello and welcome to the What Are We Even Doing Here podcast, a podcast that seeks to answer the question of what are we even doing here from a biblical perspective. My name is Daryl and I usually don't do a intro when I post an exhortation that I've done, but um, I wanted to come on here and do that. I felt it was necessary to clarify something that that I say during this exhortation. Now, I've had the honor and privilege to be exhorting every second and fourth Sunday, and sometimes when there's a fifth Sunday coming up, uh, at River of Life Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. And I started a taking congregation through the gospel according to Mark. And we're still in the first chapter, and we were going through today John the Baptist. And it was lovingly pointed out to me by an elder there, which is, I love that this happened because that's the job of, of the session of the elders, to help correct when something is misspoken and and guard the pulpit from error. So I love that this happened. Um, but I say towards the end, because I was comparing um, John's baptism to Christian baptism, I wanted to encourage those Christians who have put their faith in Christ, been baptized by the Holy Spirit, regenerated, to be baptized with Christian baptism. And I said, you need to be baptized. Now, I don't want that to come off as if I'm saying that your salvation is dependent on your baptism. That's not what I was trying to say. We believe what the the Bible teaches and what the Westminster Confession of Faith says in chapter 28 on baptism, article 5. It says, although it is a great sin to condemn or neglect this sacrament, baptism is not inseparably connected with God's grace and salvation. One can be saved and reborn without baptism. And on the other hand, Everyone who is baptized is not therefore unquestionably reborn. So you can be saved without baptism, and not everyone who is baptized is automatically saved. But I would just what I was intending to do is encourage those who are saved, who have put their faith, because this is how we're saved, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And those who have done that, I wanted to encourage them to be baptized. Because that is commanded, as as the beginning of, of this says, it is a great sin to condemn it or neglect it. But we also aren't saved by it. But uh, it, we should be encouraged. And as somebody who is exhorting the word, I wanted to encourage those, if anybody was in, in the congregation listening who is not baptized, who is a Christian, I just wanted to encourage them to be baptized and talk to the elders about what baptism is. And if you're listening to this and you, and you listen to continue to listen through the exhortation, I also want to encourage you, if you're a Christian and haven't been baptized, to be baptized. To be baptized. Because we read the scriptures and baptize, baptism is, is encouraged for the Christian to be baptized. So that's what I was, was, was getting at. That it is a good thing and a command to be baptized baptized when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the absolutely finished work of Jesus Christ alone. So if you continue to listen, thank you. I hope this exhortation will bless you. And I I thank you for continuing to listen. And that is all I have for you. So continue to listen. Thank you. Grace and peace. Drive safe, Grady. Well, <laughs> good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, <laughs>
The, the text for our consideration this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Uh, and we began a couple weeks ago our journey through the gospel according to Mark, and I'd like to continue it today. So we're going to reread again the first verse, but then go all the way to verse 8. And last, last time we were here, we looked at the first verse, and we learned what the gospel is. It's the good news of Jesus Christ in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and what that means for us. We also learned that Jesus is the Christ, and Christ isn't his last name. It is his title. He is the Messiah. He is the foreseen, prophesied Messiah to come. We also learned that Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son, the one who is very God of very God. He is God in the flesh. And today we will learn of this new character, John the Baptizer. And he was also foretold of in the Old Testament. We will look at some of those passages as well. And both, both John and Jesus were preachers of righteousness. They preached the truth. They didn't hold back. So I'm going to pray that the Lord doesn't have me hold back today of what he wants me to say to you and what he wants you all to hear. So let's read from the word of God, from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and then I will pray. The word of God says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare, prepare your way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to guess as your children of what you say. You've given it to us in your word. And through what the apostle Mark has wrote down for us, Lord, may we hear from you today. May we hear from you through John the baptizer and his ministry. And may we know it all points to Christ and what you've done through him for us, for our salvation for the salvation of all who believe. Lord, I pray you open our eyes, ears, hearts, and minds to receive your word, that Christians walk away from here encouraged, assured of their salvation, but encouraged to repent of the sins that they haven't repented of yet. And if anybody here today has not put their trust completely in Christ, that they do so today, they turn from their futile way of thinking to have their minds open to the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray this all in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hear ye, hear ye. Extra, extra, read all about it. 
Step right up, step right in, test your strength. Welcome back, my friends, to this show that never ends. So glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the British are coming, the British are coming. From the town crier, to the newspaper boy, to the carnival barker, to the circus announcer, to the legendary Paul Revere. There have been people charged with the task to bring news of events to come. There have been people with the desire to call others to something good. There have also been people tasked with the charge to bring people bad news, to warn them. The passage before us today, we read of a man chosen to both call people to something great, but also to warn them what would happen if they don't come to that one who he's calling and preaching about. This man was not just any man. In fact, the Old Testament spoke of this man. In this passage, we have two Old Testament passages that are referred to who speak of this man. But before we get there, let's set the scene. There had been 400 years of silence to the people of Israel. They had not heard, heard from God through a prophet since Malachi. Malachi is the last recorded special revelation of God before the New Testament started. And Malachi wrote this of John the baptizer in Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The last book of the Old Testament here speaks of this prophet. This prophet who came had the huge task preparing the way for Jesus. This prophet was to call God's people to repent and to be baptized a baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. And they were to look to the one who would come after, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And Mark quotes this passage from Malachi when he starts his gospel. To briefly mention this, you might notice if you read the ESV translation, the one we read, it says that he's quoting Isaiah. But this is something called a textual variant. Some of the other manuscripts will say this is a quote from the prophets. It won't say Isaiah. But that isn't a huge thing. That doesn't mean this is inerrant. The purpose is here. He's quoting the Old Testament to prove that this John the Baptizer was foretold of in the Old Testament. As we go through this passage today, we will do so in three parts. First, the messenger. Who is this messenger? Who is John the Baptizer? Second, the ministry. What was the ministry and mission of John? And the movement. Why did his ministry have to end to point to something greater, to point to someone greater? The messenger, the ministry, and the movement. And I pray as you see and you hear these words today that your hearts are prepared for Jesus. Jesus has come for you. The Lord came as he said he would. Ask yourselves, are your hearts prepared? So let's look at this messenger. Again, I said that there have been 400 years of silence since God had spoken through a prophet. And then in Luke, we hear of this as God sent a messenger to the dead, the father of 
John the Baptist. In Luke 1, verse 8, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense to the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell upon him. And fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. For your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he will not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This New Testament revelation of the coming of John came to Zechariah before even the revelation of the coming of Jesus came to Mary. He truly was the forerunner, the one who came before Jesus. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Even Jesus says this during his ministry in Matthew 17, verse 12. Jesus says, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. This was another prophecy fulfilled. And here, one more prophecy. This is how Malachi ends his revelation. Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter, utter destruction. Again, this is how the Old Testament ends. And then it begins with the revelation of the coming of that one who this is about, 400 years. And then here he is to be born to Elizabeth, a woman beyond childbearing age. And she is the cousin of the mother of Jesus, the cousin of Mary. And when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth, what does that baby in the womb of Elizabeth do? The baby leaps with joy, already leading the way for Jesus in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. Announcing the coming of Jesus. But wait, there's more. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. And uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. This passage is referenced by Mark. John cries in the wilderness. He is out there in the wilderness. He's open air preaching. He's preaching in the open air. Nowadays, we have preachers that can go out and preach on the streets in the open air. But many Christians look down upon that. But here we have an example. That's not something new. 
That's something we should be doing as Christians, going out to the highways and the byways, to the open air. But critics will say that will never work. No one will listen. People won't get saved that way. That isn't biblical, but that's very biblical. We can't just do it here. We have to go out to where people are, where they need to hear the word. In the Bible here, John preached in the open air. And what happened? People were leaving Judea, leaving Jerusalem to come out and hear him, to see what was going on, and to be baptized by him. Who else was an open air preacher in the New Testament? Jesus. He preached in the open air on the Mount the Mount of Olives, wherever he could, he preached. And that's what he says later we'll see in this gospel. That's why he came. He came to preach. So don't look down upon those who are preaching the gospel in the open air. Support them if you can. But here, back to John the baptizer. Verse 6. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You may be asking, why is John dressed in this manner why eat locusts and wild honey? Maybe somebody here today brought some locust soup. I don't. I don't. I hope not. I would. I might try it, but I hope not. Maybe Jim brought some of his honey from his house. But but why would he be eating this and wearing clothing like this? Because this is the clothing of a prophet. Zechariah thirteen four. On the day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive. Second Kings 1.8 They replied, He had the garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. The king said, That was Elisha the Tishbite. Again, one commentator writes of this, A raiment of camel's hair. The dress was probably, de- probably deliberately adopted by the Baptist as reviving the outward appearance of Elisha, who was a hairy man, and girt a leather belt around his waist. And the rough garment had to be characteristic of the prophet's life at a later period. As contrasted with the long garments of the Pharisee and the gorgeous apparel of the scribes who attached themselves to the court of Herod. And his diet was probably part of his Nazarite vow. And he probably also had long and shaggy shaggy hair as well. What does Jesus say about John's clothing? In Matthew's Gospel... He's describing John as as John's disciples come to him and say, who was this? In Matthew 11, verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He asked them, what did you go out and see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet... This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send the messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is none arisen, no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus knew who John was. He sent John. Jesus is God. And that is what Mark is pointing out here as well by saying These Old Testament prophecies were about John the Baptist. And John was to come before God came. And John is saying, Jesus is the one who's coming. Because Jesus is God. And what of his diet? Another commentator said of his diet, 
and his clothes, rugged isolation from the world, and eating locusts and honey was a vivid picture of his message. The last and the greatest of the prophets presented his whole life as a parable, a symbolic picture of repentance and faith. He literally departed from his wicked generation. So prophets in the Old Testament, and and John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, they would wear and eat and live apart from people to represent the parable of what God was teaching people to repent, to pull yourself away from that sinful generation. John is truly an Old Testament prophet, a living parable. He wasn't living in king's houses. He was out in the wilderness. And he, again, did not pull punches when he preached. We will see that's what eventually got John arrested and John beheaded. So what? What does this matter? Why am I telling you about John the Baptist, the baptizer? What does this prophet have to do with you? Because you can trust God. Amen. You can trust him. He said he would do, he would send a messenger and he sent a messenger. And Mark writes of the messenger. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write of this messenger. They write of John the baptizer. And that is why John's, um, sorry, Mark starts his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and he references those Old Testament prophecies. Because John, I'm sorry, Mark is saying Jesus is God. <coughs> the readers of Mark, the first readers of Mark would have heard about the ministry of John. They would have heard about the ministry of Jesus. And he's just putting it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit and saying, this is the truth. This is who it is. Because we know how rumors go around, how legends grow. And God is saying, no, this is the truth. This is who John the baptizer was, and he's pointing to Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who is God. The voice crying in the wilderness, the one who wore camel's hair, the one who ate locusts and wild honey, was prophesied long before he came, and he was preparing them for God. He was preparing the people of God for the coming of God. And we have this written so we can know, so we can be prepared for the coming of God. It is true. All of this is true. So what was John the baptizer? What was his ministry? This brings us to the second point, ministry. Verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John, again, in his ministry, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He's in the wilderness, a place where the Israelites wandered for 40 years. And now there was 400 years of silence until this. It's almost as if there was 400 years of wandering in the wilderness. And then there was the revelation to Zechariah, the father of John, that the birth was coming. And he came. John came just as the angel said. And now some years later, the Lord has John go out to the wilderness. His ministry is of that calling people to repentance, to be baptized, a baptism of repentance. This baptism is different than Christian baptism. His baptism is based on an Old Testament ritual of, of washing, a cleansing of those who would come into Israel who are from the outside. They weren't born in Israel. 
They weren't born Jews. They had to be washed. They had to be cleansed because they were seen as unclean. But John is now taking that baptism and applying it to the people of God. He's saying, you are unclean. You need to be cleansed. You need to be washed. You need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. Because it's not just what we do outside. They, weren't, they were Jews on the outside. They were Israelites on the outside. But on the inside, they were dead. In Matthew's gospel, we have this account. But he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, to his baptism and said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the baptizer is calling out those religious leaders, those who would appear the most holy in Israel. He called them to repent and to bear fruit in keeping with the repentance. Sure, they had all the scriptures memorized. Sure, they said prayers at certain times of day they had to say prayers. They went to their temple. They worshipped. They looked very holy, yet their hearts were far from God. John knew this. He called them out on this. Again, this preacher pulled no punches. He told it like it is. He told it how God told him to tell it. John called them brood of vipers. He's calling them venomous snakes. He's calling them poisonous. He's saying you're poison to the people of God. You think you're teaching them the ways of God? You're poison to them. He exhorted them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's one thing to say you repent. It's another thing to actually repent. You keep sinning and saying sorry, but you keep running to that same sin, never turning from it. We need to repent. To repent, it's a change of mind. It's a change of the inner being. It's a change of thinking that leads you to a change of action. There was a woman who grew up in church. She went to church every Sunday her whole life. She reads her Bible regularly. She prays regularly. She sings psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But she gets mad at the barista when they mess up her coffee order. She honks her horn and yells and curses in traffic. She hasn't talked to her siblings in 10 years because she doesn't even remember why. She just knows that they did something wrong to her. And she refuses to make it right. But if you ask her, she'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I say my prayers, read my Bible. Mentions, you know, she'll even quote scripture to you. But her heart is still bitter. There's still hatred in her heart. She still has a heart of stone. She says she believes, but does she really believe? Has she repented? Where's the fruit? Then there was a man. He'd never gone to church. Never wanted to hear about Jesus. People used to try to talk to him. He'd push him away. He thought he was a good person. But... He lived a life of fornication, having sex outside of marriage. He lived a life of lust, looking where his eyes shouldn't. He lived a selfish life, thinking he was living for others, and he was living for himself. 
But one day he came face to face with reality, with his sin. And he heard about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And he realized he was a sinner. But he didn't know how to change. He didn't know how to repent. So he cried out to God, change me, Lord, change me. I can't do it. I need a miracle. And that man began to change. Not only did he start going to church, wanting to read the Bible to learn more about God, but he started to treat his family different. He started to live differently. He wasn't perfect. He will never be perfect. But there was change. You would see fruit in his life. Still struggling with sin, but there was fruit. There was change. And now that sin he used to love, he now hates and wants to kill. There's the desire to kill the sin. God raised up this man as if, as if he was the stone that John the Baptist describes. He raised up that stone to be a child of Abraham. And he bears fruit in keeping with repentance. Are you the woman in the first example? Is that you? Have you grown up in church your whole life, yet you still have bitterness in your heart? You still treat people with bitterness. You still have relationships that you haven't, haven't reconciled. Is that you? Repent. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. First, turn to Christ if you haven't done that. But then go make things right with whoever you're in dispute with. Ask God to keep working on your heart. Yeah, you still might get frustrated in traffic or when your coffee order's messed up or you're on the phone with telemarketers. But you'll see change. There'll be change there. There'll be a desire after you, you yell at that person or you honk in traffic. You'll be like, that's not right. I shouldn't do that. Because you're a Christian. Because you've been saved by the grace of God. There's fruit in repentance. Hopefully you can be like the second man and you can turn to Christ and live and come to church and be made more into the image of Christ. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance because if you don't, the result won't be good. It won't be good. Heed the warning of John. Again, in Matthew 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom is heaven. of heaven is at hand. But remember these comforting words of Paul, as he writes in Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But here's the good part of this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are to work out our salvation, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, but it is God who works in us both to will and to do that. It is God who brings about faith and repentance to enable us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah to that. Because uh, none of us can do it on our own. We need God. So God call, John calls those coming to him to repent and bear fruit. But he also says there is one who comes after him who won't just baptize with water, but will baptize with the Spirit. So this brings us to our third point, the movement moving from John's ministry to that of Jesus. Verse 7, and he preached saying, again, after, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's ministry was to call people to repentance and to be baptized with the baptism of repentance. 
This again was to prepare the hearts of the people, the people of God, to be prepared for God's coming, God coming in the flesh. His ministry was to move away from himself to point to the one greater. John the baptizer says in the Gospel of John, when the Pharisees and Sadducees questioned him if he was the Christ, he said, no, but there's one among you who you do not know. And then he sees that one coming to him in John 1 verse 29 the next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes one who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came to baptize with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Behold, the Lamb of God. His ministry is moving from himself to that Lamb. He was to call people to see this lamb, to behold, to look. John sees Jesus coming. Jesus was coming out of his wilderness temptation after defeating Satan. And he says, behold, look, stop everything you're doing. Fix your eyes on this man. He's the one, the lamb of God, the one that can give you peace, the only one that can give you peace, the only one that can take away your sin. He is the sacrifice for your sin. He is God's lamb. He's not our lamb to present to God for the forgiveness of sins. It is God's lamb that he presents for himself. Behold, here he is. Follow him. Go after him. And now verse 8 of Mark, it says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 3, verse 16, John answered and said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, whose strap, who's strap of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His whittling fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Not only does Jesus have a baptism of the Spirit, it also says, He has a baptism of fire. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been baptized by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you, dwells in you. God lives in you, Christian. This is the baptism that all Christians have. We've all been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some denominations will teach that you need to have a sign of tongues or other things to show that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. No. If you're a Christian and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. But what is this other baptism? What is this baptism of fire? John explains, his winnowing fork is in his hand. Jesus will not mess around. He calls all people to repent, to believe the gospel. But those who don't, says it right here, will be separated, like chaff to be burned in unquenchable fire. John pulls no punches. Jesus pulls no punches. There's a a popular campaign right now on TV. Uh, You might see it at sporting events. There was an ad during that big game a couple weeks ago. And they spent a lot of money on this campaign. But it's a distorted picture of who Jesus is. The campaign has a slogan, he gets us. Jesus does get us. And he knows who we are. <laughs> but he doesn't say, hey there, sinner, I get you. Stay exactly how you are. No. He changes us. He calls us to repent, to turn. 
He gets that we are sinners. He knows that we are sinners, yet he died for us anyway. And he calls us to turn from our sin and trust in him. And he gives us the power to turn from our sin. So it's not this, he's not all love. He is love. God is love. Right? But he is righteous. He is holy. He is just. A loving God has to be a just God. So we can't just, he gets us. No, he saves us. He saves us. And this is the ministry of John pointing to the ministry of Jesus because he came to save sinners from their sin and from hell and from the baptism of fire. Jesus on the cross took the baptism of fire. He took hell up for you on the cross. If you've believed, he suffered hell on the cross for you so that you can now be seen righteous in God and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But this preaching here of hell, preaching of fire, isn't popular. You're not going to see an ad campaign on TV to draw people that's preaching an unquestionable fire where sinners will go who have not repented. You won't see that there. That won't, you're not going to see that in many popular church building models like grow your church, preach this. No, but this is the truth. This is the truth here. You need to hear this. Because if you don't hear this part, then you're not going to understand the love of God in Christ. That's what makes it so great. Because we all deserve that to be the chaff in the unquestionable fire. But we get the grace, unmerited favor, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. There is hope. And this is why John was sent to preach this, to, to prepare the hearts for the coming of God. God in the flesh came to sinners because, yes, hear this, God loves you. If you're a Christian, God loves you. If you're not yet a Christian, but you're hearing this message, you're still unsure, turn to Christ and live. Turn to Christ and live. Do so now. Be assured, Christian, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You won't be gathered as, as chaff and thrown into the fire. You are his good wheat. You are a good crop. He will gather you. My son the other day said, Hey, Dad, when we die, we're going to have mansions. God's making a mansion for us. I was like, oh, I don't, you, Have you been reading the King James? Where's this man? <laughs> but... He has a place for us. God is preparing a place for us. I I told him, yes, there's a place. If you're a Christian, God has a place. Not because I'm saying it, but but in the Gospel of of John, Jesus says this, John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He's going to gather you like wheat into his place, Christian. But if you're not a Christian, there's a fire for you. That's why you need to repent. Have you repented? Have you turned from your futile way of thinking? Have you turned from your way of thinking and living for yourself? Have you truly understood the gospel? Or have you been coming to church your whole life and you don't know it, but you're here? And that is grace. You are here and you keep coming and you keep hearing the word. But if you keep coming and keep hearing the word and never repent, that is a dangerous place to be as well. 
but it's here. It's for you. Take it. Grab it. Pray. Pray as that man, the example I gave before. I can't change God. I can't change. You need to change me. You need to bring repentance into my life and help me turn. And when I'm tempted to, to sin, help me turn. Yes, Lord. And when I do sin, let me come to you in forgiveness and yes. true repentance. Yes, Lord. Yes. The power of the Spirit. Yes, Lord. If you have believed, you need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized as a Christian, you need to be baptized as a Christian. If you, if you want to do that, don't leave here today until you talk to an elder about being baptized. You need to, it's commanded by Jesus. And we can talk about the mode of baptism if, you, if you're hung up on that and, and all that. We explain, explain to you what the, our, our catechism teaches. But you need to be baptized. You need to be. But now remember this. John's ministry, his preaching, his baptism was the point to Jesus Christ. He was the one who is the king of kings. John was saying, make a way for the king. The king is coming. Again, in John's gospel, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that is the way of our life too. We point to Christ just as John did. We point people to Christ, not to ourselves, but to Christ. He must increase and he does increase. We can rejoice. We can rejoice with John. We can rejoice with Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. God fulfills his promises the word says, for all his promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. May the way of Jesus be prepared in your hearts. May you hear John calling you to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. To repent and be baptized with a Christian baptism. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a sinner's death on the cross again taking hell for us, being baptized with that fire so you wouldn't have to. He is an atonement for sin. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And John, the baptizer's message and ministry was to point to Christ. So may we hear that today and may we turn our hearts to Christ. Repent, live a life of repentance coming to Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Once again, you don't leave us in the dark. Lord, we have your revelation here. We can know your truth. We can believe your truth. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, we repent, help our repentance. Lord, we, we work a lot, help us rest in Christ. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, is what your son says. May we come to him for that rest. May we come to him knowing he saves us and that he won't leave us as we are. We come and we change through his power, through your power, through the power of the spirit in us. So let us go out of here loving you more, loving each other more, and seeing you in your scriptures, seeing Christ as we continue to walk through this account of Mark. Thank you, Lord. I pray everything in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.